Welcome to yet another episode of the NRL All-Stars podcast. This is Barnsley, back again for another week of podcasts and a bit of a different week this week because like I mentioned on the Supercoach episodes last week, we're actually going to have an episode each week talking footy and that's what it's going to be called. It's going to be the NRL All-Stars podcast talking footy and that's basically what it is. You know what you're going to get. It's no Supercoach in these episodes. It's just me and other guests talking about footy and the state of the game and the NRL and rugby league. So kind of nice because obviously in the Supercoach podcast, we actually do talk about it a little bit, but we got to keep on track because we've got to talk about the Supercoach relevance of a lot of stuff. Uh, this is one that we can just talk about the game. And I, I love the game of rugby league just as much as I love Supercoach. So I'll, I'll do both during the week. We'll have a couple of episodes this next week as well for Supercoach. We're going to have one that's going to be focused all about the Canterbury Bulldogs. And then we're going to have another episode drop next week. And Talking Footy will be on once a week as well. So quite a bit coming up, which is fantastic. For this first Talking Footy episode, we've got Luke Garrity, Newcastle Knights fan, constant on the Supercoach episodes as well, did the Knights preview with me, and also prominent jersey collector in the jersey collecting community. So Luke, welcome back, mate. (laughs) Thanks, mate. Good to be here. I'm, I'm glad you got in the prominent jersey collector title. It's, uh, I make sure everyone drops that wherever I go. Luke's got a crazy amount of jerseys, so he loves talking about rugby league. Probably any game that's mentioned on this podcast, he'll probably be able to say he's got the jersey of it. So, <laughs> I'm up to 160 now, I think, um, between all from between about 1980 to... Oh, very early 2000s. I don't have anything later than Andrew Johns' retirement. So, um, because that's the you know, that's the sort of that's after death for me. Once Andrew Johns retired, the game sort of ceased to <laughs> ceased to have meaning and importance. So it's uh, it's getting up there. Well, I mean, it's got to be vintage, right? So that's the... that's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, look, on this episode, we've got half a dozen topics that we're going to go through. Um, but first of all, we've obviously had the trials or televised issue, which has been great. So I know I've been watching them a little bit. Uh, it's just good just to have some footy just to watch. But there's a few things that you can take away from the trials as well. Obviously, there's a lot of guys that are playing. Like I, I had some beers with some mates and stuff last Saturday and uh, went up and unfortunately all the teams named mostly up-and-comers. But you do get to see a mix of the young guys coming through that you might want to have a look at, which is always nice to see. But then this week I see that we've got a lot of pretty close to full-strength full teams that are named, which is interesting as well. So I, I enjoy the trials. You're a bit of a footy nut, Luke. You've probably been liking it. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have them back. Uh, I don't read too much into them. I don't sort of, you know, take a whole heap out of a team's going to go. Well, you know, the year the Knights got the spoon and um, won sort of one game one year and five the next year, they won a trial 44-0 against the Raiders, made the finals and all that sort of thing. So, you know, you try not to read too much into them and just enjoy them. So it's just good to see some footy and you put it on and see a couple of good plays. Good to look at how some of the younger guys go or how some guys coming back from injury are looking. But um, apart from that, I think it's just good to just relax and watch it and not um, have to worry about your super coach scores and not worry too much about the result either, really. Realistically. And you went to the Knights Dogs trials the other night, yeah, the Monday night footy? Yeah, I did. I did. They had a good crowd there. They had about 5,000 or so, which is pretty good for, you know, given it's a, a trial game where Newcastle's best players all went off after 40 minutes and we all <laughs> knew they were going to. And the Bulldogs had a few out and their best players playing went off. But um, yeah, it was a pretty, that, that wasn't the best trial. That's probably, 
<laughs> that I've ever seen in my life. But um, again, it's just good to see the guys back out there and you get a bit of a first-hand look at anything you're expecting to see that's different. So Knights fans are all looking to see what the attack's going to look like and how Pong is going to look this year with Joey on board and that sort of thing. So we've got a good look at that and a good look at uh, Pangai Jr. and some of the new Bulldogs. So it was um, it's still always worth getting out there. And you know, like you, I just want my fix at this point. What did you take out of what you did see from the Knights? Did you see much difference? And did you see much difference uh, in how Ponga was running things? No, like I'm, I'm pretty critical of the media and I had to roll my eyes the next day when they talked about the impact Joey's had on the attack and all this stuff. I mean, I, I watched the game. The Bulldogs dropped the kickoff. Uh, Knights got like Clifford stepped past a young bloke to score a try. It was a terribly soft try. He stepped past a couple and then Clune threw a cutout pass for a try and I think in between them Clemmer threw a short ball for a try and that was all just weak defence from the Bulldogs um, I think the 10 minutes in I thought to myself I think they're in a bit of trouble here for the year to be honest with you the Knights because I, I um, Caelan Ponga in the first three sets the Knights had in the 20 had one touch and it was play five for a kick and Kurt Mann had had 11 that was my count and my sort of entire basis of thinking what Newcastle should do last year was that they had to reverse the Kurt Mann to <laughs> Caelan Ponga touch ratio, which has just been backwards for the last two seasons. And um, without having to go at Kurt Mann particularly, it, he's just an example is that all the wrong players are touching the ball too much at Newcastle. And it looked the same to me. Caelan Ponga was standing about three players wide all the time. I think he scored negative one for Supercoach when he was interested. Um, <laughs> he, he was on the field for 40 minutes, if that gives you an idea. Uh, it was a weird game. He didn't get much midfield ball, and that's probably his strongest suit. He likes the ball in the middle of the feet, like that sort of uh, 20 to 20 zone in the middle uh, with a bit more space. But uh, we're either coming out of our own end where he doesn't do much or we were attacking. And, uh, you know, he's such a skilled player. All I want to do is see him with the ball at first and second receiver in those zones. And he was standing out the back very wide, and Newcastle were going to Clifford and Clune and, and Man a lot. And they looked okay. They played okay. But that's not going to cut it to be top four to have those guys having all your points. So those are those are the type of guys that are really the trial specials, right? Like guys like Man yep. and Clune and Clifford are the type of guys that are going to have a blinder in a trial when they get to play maybe half a game or parts of a game against inferior opposition. And they're probably the sort of guys that people and fans generally get carried away about because they think, oh, they look good, they're going to step up. And inadvertently, 90% of the time that doesn't happen. So I always find that they're probably the sort of guys that you don't want to look at as much. Like you want to make sure that they're on their game, perhaps not making errors and certainly not missing tackles and things. That's always a plus. But uh, as far as blinders go, like you kind of want to see guys like Ponga do it. I was probably overcritical last year at times Mm. of Ponga as far as blaming it on him, uh, which is one of the reasons why I wasn't sure whether overhauling the attack for the Knights was really going to solve all their problems. Because to me, it's sort of part of it is definitely the football team structure and the coaching and all that. But a a large chunk of it is just the player in question, this one being Ponga, just going out there and just getting the ball everywhere, you know, and like we've all, you, you love some of the older games as well. And certainly some of the yesteryear's heroes and stuff. There were guys like, and I hesitate to bring up a rooster on the, the first talking footy mm-hmm. episode, but guys like Brad Fittler, where like he would get the ball anyway, but if he wasn't or the game wasn't going, he'd go in and just take a hit up or he'd go in and just yeah. take some runs, you know? Mm-hmm. And even some of the smaller guys would go and do that. And you'd kind of go, oh, wow, look, it's, you know, whoever taking a hit up, you know? And sometimes Freddie would just take it just to prove a point, just to get his hands on the ball. Other guys are obviously the same too. Mm-hmm. Daly used to do it as well a bit. 
you know, yeah. but you, you just kind of want that from Ponga. It's like, just go get your hands on the ball. Just get involved. Just be there. Be around the ball. Teddy's always around the ball for my roosters, you know. I, I've just, you think that you'd be able to see that in a side that's, to be fair, fairly subpar in talent as what Newcastle is. You'd think you'd be able to get in there and be able to demand it. Yeah, that's what that's how I see it. He's just too wide. He stands out the back in positions to get the ball two or three wide, and everyone will have seen the highlight of him getting smashed on the weekend, and that's why that happened, because they stand him deep out to one side, and everyone knows where he is and how the ball can get there, and it has to get there off block-block play. So it's block-block, and the, the wingers can jam in and hit him, and it's it's very predictable. And you're exactly right. Um, even at the Knights, Andrew Johns used to go dummy half all the time when nothing was doing and just get out of there and make yep. something happen. And, and Ponga, um, he has that ability. I, I counted every time he touched the ball twice in a set, sorry, twice in a row last year, he touched the ball and threw a pass. And then got the ball at first receiver on the next play again. We scored <laughs> or made a line break every time in a whole season. But it was like six times and yep. it should be like 50 times because he's so dangerous. When he got the ball at first or second receiver, used his feet and hit a guy, it was always a quick play, the ball, because it was always a good pass and putting people under pressure. And when he took it again the next play, seriously, every single time that happened in the season, they scored or made a line break. And, and that's the problem at the moment. He's standing out for set plays in a sort of Darius Boyd role that the game has passed by that the days of the block play of the fullback are so dead now you can run that play but the days of just doing that are over and yeah it's look it's it's a work in progress so i think you can get carried away thinking they're going to bring in andrew johns and it's all going to be fixed so i'm not just going to say oh it's all over now but i i didn't see noticeable improvement from them in in their attack i saw a bit more from other guys i think clune looked as good as he can look. But again, he threw a cutout pass around Ockenbaugh to score. I can tell you a lot more people will do that this year if Ockenbaugh plays first grade. <laughs> and and Clifford went past a young bloke in the centres and past Pangai, who, who's a notoriously missing tackle. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things. I'd, I'd like to... They're playing the Storm this week in a trial and they'll get a much better look. I think you'll get a much better idea of whether they're at the races when we see that one. One of the other things with Ponga as well, just talking to your point too about how many times he was getting in a couple in a row and how many how often their success was when that was happening, it just lets the defence off the hook so much. Like, yeah. and I think the yeah. Johns brothers say it quite a bit as well, but certainly a lot of guys that commentate and have played the game at a high level will say, well, do what the defence doesn't want you to do. Like, what does the defence yeah. not want Newcastle to do? The defensive line, every single one of those guys doesn't want to be coming up against Ponga and needing to tackle them or needing to make decisions with Ponga with the ball in hand. You know, that's that's yeah. the whole defensive line of every single team in the NRL. So what are you doing? You're giving, you're giving it to him less. Like every defensive line in the NRL when they're playing Newcastle lately, it's just a big sigh of relief because, like, they'll probably have a whole game plan, video sessions and stuff around Kalen Ponga and how they're going to defend him. And then when they get to game day, they, they have barely have to put any of it in action because Newcastle doesn't put them in a position where they have that pressure on them. Yeah. And it just makes it so much easier. You know, you've got forwards that are that are less gassed because they're not being attacked around the edges of the ruck or even through the middle like a Tedesco play with Jake Friend, the old great Roosters one they loved. Um, but you've also got the backs as well that aren't being put under pressure or having to make decisions. So, you know, it's just, it's so much easier. And mentally and physically, you've just got so much left in you as a defender when you get the ball back when you get to go through those defensive sets against a team like Newcastle. So I just think that it's just, it's inherently wrong in how they run it. And I think that Caelan Ponga needs to mature a fair bit, but I do want to move on to the other side of things since you were at the game. What did you think of the new look Bulldogs? 
Ah, uh, they were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were shocking. Um, they they dropped the kick off. They um made three or four mistakes really early. Got themselves down ten nil pretty quick. They both their tries to get back in the game were were you know not gonna. They were just flukish things that won't happen this year. They got you know they belted Ponger and made an eighty meter break and scored in that set. And then Dufty then scored an intercept try. So basically, the Knights fumbled with the ball and the attacking 20 twice and the dogs went coast to coast essentially twice um, and didn't score again till everyone was off the field in the second half. And it was reserve grade on reserve grade. Uh, they were pretty poor and Pangai was pretty lackluster. I think he'll improve. I'm not worried about him. Yeah. They, they, they need a halfback pretty badly. Uh, Burton is going to have to be doing a lot for himself when he gets back and, or when he starts playing. And the thing with Burton is people are so quick to sort of write him as the next superstar and he may well be, I think he's an incredibly talented player, but he's barely played five, eight in the NRL. So the idea that they've, Mm -hmm. Oh, they've got Burton. It's all going to be okay. Is that's far from true. He played at Penrith when all the origin players were out at five, eight and they lost to the Tigers and frankly looked really poor. Um, a couple of times there, they they had a they might have just won or just lost against Cronulla as well. I forget which way that went, but it was a similar thing where they just really looked quite bad. And I only point that out because like the Bulldogs team isn't that much better than Penrith's team with Penrith Origin players. Out. So he's a young man playing in a position he actually doesn't have a lot of NRL experience in, and he's going to be expected to carry this side because they don't have a halfback, they don't have a hooker. And, you know, they've got quite a few new pieces in the forwards who are reasonable players, but those things take time to gel. Mm, I was about to say the spine, the spine support that he's got is, is very lackluster. The Bulldogs are always going to be a team that when they were signing a guy to be a marquee, marquee spine player, it was all going to be on that guy, which can be good if the, if the player can actually step up to it. And certainly if they put a Cameron Munster or, or, or DCE or one of these top line established stars in there, they could probably lead, have their hands on the ball a lot with high usage and the other lesser spine players kind of work off it. But when you're a guy like Burton, you've never really done that before. So mm. I think without the spine support, it is going to put a lot of pressure on him and a lot of pressure on Coach Barrett too to actually come through with some decent performances early on. Uh, look, I want to move on generally in trials though. Big question marks on trials at the moment because there is every single year when trials start and it's highlighted by the Hayes-Dunster injury. Really unfortunate. He's basically done everything to his knee that you possibly could. MCL, ACL, PCL, it's all been done. So it's a nine-month-plus recovery. So all the best to Hayes. Hopefully he recovers well and his rehab, he gets through it and he's back on the field next year. But it, it highlights what everyone brings up every year. And it off, it always inadvertently gets thrown up on why do we have trials for? They're pointless. You know, we shouldn't have them. Even some clubs whinge about them sometimes. And I was just interested in getting your take and sort of unpacking that as far as trials in general, because I mean, I'd love the old MCO Cup days to come back. We actually have, you know, a proper competition <laughs> pre-season and stuff because, and like, I'm going to say this, obviously never being an NRL player, but playing rugby league for a long time, you know, I, I found every year that even if I had a three month pre-season and we're running the sand hills at Cronulla and stuff and doing everything to get ready for it, I never felt ready for my first game of footy until I'd played a couple of trials. You know, it's almost like uh, like I could have been playing footy for 15, 20 years and I still would feel like I almost don't remember how to hit or tackle until I actually do it. And you're never really going to do it at training because you're not really doing it at full pace. You're not trying to hit guys as hard as you can or anything. You've got to get through those first couple of games and you're getting the cobwebs out. And it doesn't matter to me how long or how professional you are or how good you are. 
you've got to work through that to be primed for that round one matchup. And and I certainly think it's the same for NRL players as well. So you kind of, you know, you could get injured round one. It's just unlucky if you get injured in trial. But if you're going to get rid of trials, then by the same basis, Luke, you may as well say, well, we're not going to have training runs anymore because people get injured in training. You know, we're just going to turn up to games and play. And obviously that's not going to happen. And there's a whole deeper conversation that we're not going to unpack on how, how many injuries you're going to get if guys are just turning up underdone and not and not training or not having any impact in the preseason. So that's where I'm kind of at on it. And I sort of always think it's silly conversations on shouldn't have trials and all this other stuff. I'd actually like to see it expanded. I'd actually like to see the NRL cash in on it, fans be able to get more involved, to have the MCO Cup or whatever and really go for it because we're going to need the trials. Every club needs them for me. But what's your take on the whole trial scenario with injuries and, and the risk? Yeah, I just think it's a bit of a necessary evil having trials. Um, I love the old days of the Amco Cup and the uh, the Tui's Cup and all those sorts of things. But they're, you know, realistically, there probably isn't the appetite or the or the time these days to fit all that back in um, as much as I'd love it. But we, we you just got to play trials because, like you said, anyone who's played rugby league, you can't train for it. When, when you start playing again, your lungs just go, no matter how much training you've done or how many opposed sessions. When you start playing, you just lose your lungs in five minutes in that first game or two, and you just need that game fitness to put yourself and get your lungs right and your, your timing right and all that stuff and to work through it with your team. And, you know, it's just one of those things. There's always be someone get hurt, but like you said, they could get hurt round one or at training and, you know, they get hurt. You know, Jacob Safidi broke his leg outside the pub the other year. You know what I mean? Like you can get hurt anywhere. And um, <laughs> this, this has a purpose. You don't want to play too many, the one or two trials and they're playing half a game with guys to just get through it all. I think just what you've got to do if you want to win. It's a 20, you know, how many times do you miss the finals by a game or two? And that could be game one. You can't go to game one underdone. They all count. I know it seems like it matters more at round 24 or whatever, however many rounds we've got now, but they all count towards making the finals and getting in there and where you finish. So you need to be ready to go in round one and banking those wins, um, not going in half-assed and coming good in round six. Yep. Because you haven't done the time, you know what I mean? Yeah, I love all the MK Cup sort of stuff to to happen as well, but you're probably right. There's probably just not enough appetite for it. And the the players' union and the clubs and stuff would probably all have a bit of a whinge. So we probably won't get there. But, I mean, the the trials are here to stay. You need to have them. You can't be a professional athlete without having those practice runs. And you can't replicate on the training paddock as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Moving on, big news in the last week with the Penrith Panthers CEO, Brian Fletcher. Uh, Yeah. Really going to town because... They've lost young Katoa, a really, really talented local junior who uh, has come through the Panthers system a little bit and he's a next great halfback and a lot of good scouts in the NRL really rate him very, very highly. So coincidentally, the Dolphins went after him and came to a three-year deal and Fletcher came out all guns firing, frustrated, said that they've invested in developing him from a very young age, they should get compensation, the game's not fair, um, it's an unfair playing field all of this stuff, and he's really come out all guns blazing. And, Luke, I'm going to be really interested in what your take on this is because mine's um, fairly stern is probably the best polite way to put it because mm-hmm. uh, I just think it's stunning that he's actually come out with this. You know, I, I just I really could not believe that Brian Fletcher, of all the times to decide to... Um, die on a hill of an argument <laughs> on not getting compensated for junior development. He's chosen a young halfback that if nobody called him 
No, no NRL team ever called him. He would have left anyway because in the next five to eight years, he's not going to get a run because Jerome Luai is what, 25, Nathan Cleary is 24, and those are the current New South Wales house pairing. They are going to be at the helm of that team for the very long future. So what is Fletcher expecting this kid to do? Just sit there and he would be okay just to be a backup for the majority of his career and, and probably lose 90% of the career earnings that he would have had as well and not play footy. You know, it's it, to me, that's one one take on it that just is maddening to me when I think about it and I read those quotes. The other thing to me that is I find really frustrating and it's it's really ironic and it's it's quite hypocritical too because he's actually whinging about something that is there, but he's got it the wrong way around. You know, the Penrith Panthers actually have, in rugby league terms, the largest catchment area of anyone, potentially globally in rugby league. You know, they have the largest area of junior development they can choose from. They've got 24 clubs at their disposal that are officially Penrith Panthers junior clubs. Okay, I'm going to compare it to the Roosters, who not because they're a team I follow, but because they actually have the least. Okay, the Roosters have an area that you could walk through, and they currently have three junior clubs. Three. Panthers have 24. And out of the three junior clubs the Roosters have, one of them was actually out of action until five years ago where they actually got resurrected. So that tells you the strength of that particular club. And this guy's come out and had a whinge about teams, you know, about opportunities and all this other stuff. You know, he's got the biggest opportunity out of any club. He has the biggest advantage out of any club. And he's got the biggest junior pipeline out of any club. And this is his take on it. So how did you feel about it, you know, considering all this when, when Fletcher came out about losing young Katoa? I just laughed. Cry me a river. They, um, they won. The, the, if you want to know where, how they've been compensated for paying all this money to develop juniors, they've been compensated by like making two grand finals in a row and winning one of them almost entirely stocked with local juniors. So they're, they're, that's why they're so good. They pay all this money. And what they've done is they've kept a very large number of them. And in fact, very cleverly, they've also cycled them. They've waited and made decisions. They've had stuff like they'd have Dane Laurie coming uh, through while they also have... Uh, Dylan Edwards playing there and then and those sorts of guys or they'd have um, Wateni Zelezniak and Wonga Blake still there and they'd funnel them on to get Stephen Crichton in and then they'd go, okay, Laurie's not as good as, uh, as Dylan Edwards, so we'll cycle him on. They'd have, you know, Kikau would be, uh, had sort of come through and when he goes, they've got a couple of young second rowers now that are coming through really nicely that come through. So not only have they built a really good team of local juniors, they've actually had an excess stock. Burton's another one. They sat there and waited a year or two of watching Burton and Luai to make a call on who to keep. It's the 5'8", basically. So they've really got all these juniors. They've had they've kept them so well that they've managed to cycle through a lot of young talent, check out how good they are, weigh up pros and cons and make decisions on which ones are kept and which ones have to go. And it's had them right up the top of the table because credit to them, they've done a really good job. Like stuff like letting go of Wonga Blake because Crichton's there and that sort of thing is really clever and they've done that really well. But you're going to lose players if you're doing that, but you control who you lose. And they lose this guy because they have the best halfback in the world playing for them and a very, very good 5'8 outside him. And that's what I don't understand what the problem is. Like it's, 
that's rugby league. You can only got one halfback, and the only other position a very good halfback can play is, is 5'8", really. Um, some of them could play hooky, you know, but really these days it's honestly probably 5'8". And they've already got good players in that position, and they've been rewarded by investing in juniors, which they do very well, by being very a very good team. That's that's the reward for it, you know. And, and what are you going to do with Katoa? What yeah. are you going to do with him? What were your big plans for Katoa? Stop yeah. him from playing against you, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's one thing. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, quite a high level yeah. strategy there. <laughs> so. yeah, just hold him all there and leave him in reserve grade so you don't have to play against them. But yeah, but I, I just thought cry me a river. I just think it's it's barely worth the oxygen. We've given it a fair bit, but it's barely worth the oxygen because it's just nonsense. It really is. It's just nonsense. He wasn't going to play first grade at Penrith. They weren't trying to wrap him up to play first grade at Penrith. And if they did make him a genuinely good money offer to stay at Penrith, then they'd be dumb as anything because they'd be paying really good money to a guy who wouldn't make their team. And, I mean, it's it goes both ways too. Like, you can say that Penrith have done a really good job with their junior development. And, by the way, I think they have. You know, Penrith deserve a lot of credit, like you said, because they've done a great job with their juniors. But... On the flip side, it has to be said that they do have, again, the largest base to choose from across a very vast area of players. And, you know, it's not great work by the Penrith Panthers because they have a large amount of geography in their territory. It's not great work by the Penrith Panthers because a kid that ends up maybe coming and playing for Australia in 20 years happened to live at Penrith or in the Blue Mountains. You know, the, the kid just happened to live there. You know, they didn't do anything with him yet to make him live there. You know, they've just got that big advantage and that's going to show too. So, I mean, if you were to say to someone, look, I'm going to give you in rugby league the biggest catchment area with the most young players to develop and choose and scout from, but the downside is that you're going to have to let some of those players go because you won't be able to play them and they're going to play for other clubs. Or we could give you two or three clubs you know, and you can probably keep a lot of the guys from those clubs, but you're going to have to go elsewhere to find the rest of your team. I'm pretty sure that everyone would choose a large catchment area as a big advantage there, and maybe we'll lose some. But the guys that we want to keep, you, you ultimately get to make that decision, right? You know, if if you thought Katoa was better than Cleary, which is never going to happen, but like in this case, you know, if you rated Katoa that highly, you've got the opportunity to say, we're going to play you in first grade next year, Katoa, and we're going to give you a million dollars a year. Stay, you know, and he would. So, I mean, you've got that advantage. And I think the advantages far, far outweigh the disadvantages that Penrith have, which is why I think it's fairly hypocritical to come out at this point. Yeah, they've got, they've got good advantages. And I think that they've managed them well, including this situation. They did exactly what they should have done. And, and they've done really well for a number of years now, even stuff like when they had Harrowir and Naira. And I thought, oh, letting him go is a big call, but they brought Kikau through and they let mm-hmm. Wonga Blake go and um, Campbell Gillard go. And all of a sudden you had Crichton coming through and et cetera, et cetera. They've done really well. Even Charlie Stain, who's been on the outer, all of a sudden the next couple of guys are coming, sort of coming through now. Um, they seem to have done a really good job at working out which ones are going to work out and which ones they can afford to go. And this is a guy that just they can afford to go because they don't have a position for him. So it's just, they've got a lot of advantages. I do give them a lot of credit because not every, as a Newcastle Knights fan, I can assure you not everywhere with a big base of juniors does a good job of it, um, but <laughs> unfortunately. But it's something they've put a lot of time into and, and they, they do work very hard to get them in the system early. And, and they've worked, what I find bad at Newcastle is we always hear kids at 16 that 
that are going to be the next big thing. And by the time they get to reserve grade, they never take that next step. Like they just come through. Bradman Best is in a bit of trouble at the moment. Hopefully he doesn't become the next one, but the next Sione Matautia, the next Tex Hoy, these guys that come through with wraps and never get out of reserve grade level, or they come to first grade and never take that next step. Penrith have avoided that. They seem to have been able to bring these kids through workout, either work out which ones are going to make first grade really well or help them take that next step because it's not natural for everyone. But this, that's the reality of it is you're going to have to pick and choose. You only need a couple, two centers, two wingers, one fullback, a couple of halves, and that's your team, a couple of forwards. So, you know, you're, not, you're never going to keep all of them. And this is just business as usual. They've got an absolutely outstanding five, eight and half back. And like with the Burton situation, they've made a call that they're better than the next guy coming through. And in other situations, like your Wonga Blakes and Crichtons and some of these, they've gone, that guy can go because our next guy coming through is actually better. And that's what's going to happen one way or another. Those guys who deserve to play first grade will go to another club and play well. Dane Laurie's a good example. He's going great at the Tigers, but he just had no spot at Penrith. Like, what are they supposed to yeah, do? Play right. him in reserve grade or the Tigers are supposed to compensate Penrith or something. Like, he didn't have a spot in their team and he's a first grader. He goes somewhere else. The whole, everyone sort of wins. Penrith get the best. It's not pick. the NFL. No. You can't you can't rotate two hundred guys. No, you know, seventeen spots in your and team. And Penrith get and first pick. That's the benefit of their situation. They're compensated by getting to pick whether they keep Laurie or or Edwards or keep this halfback or keep Cleary. They get to pick all that, and the other, everyone else gets the dregs. To be fair, so they are benefiting. You know, <laughs> like you don't get the best the first choice out of Penrith. They do. I wonder if I wonder how much that Brian Fletcher gave compensation to the Cowboys for kicker. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, (laughs) plenty. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Penrith fans. I I do, I do love the Penrith club, and I think they've done a phenomenal job. But um, I just, I I found that really out of whack. Look, I have to say, it does draw attention though to a a wider discussion, which is something we're going to unpack and talk about for five minutes now. Uh, And that is, you know, I've just sort of semi-blasted Brian Fletcher because I think he's a bit out of line. But at the same time, he does have a point if he was a bit more articulate with it. You know what? Uh, what are we going to do with junior development at the moment? If how it stands in rugby league, you know, and, and it, it is something that should be raised because at the moment we do have a lot of young players in the game, um, and I think that there probably is probably a lack of advancement, a lack of progress in how the game has grown to manage all the junior players that we have and how we manage that equity uh, among all the clubs. Um, and certainly um, compensation is something that I think should be looked at by the NRL, but in a different way than what Brian Fletcher was looking at. So before we even get into that, Luke, we need to discuss, you know, what is development of a player? And this is something that's been a bugbear of mine for many, many, many years. Now, a lot of the time, you know, people like Brian Fletcher with his statement and, and a lot of fans and a lot of other people around the game, even there's a lot of people that will say, oh, yeah, well, you know, he's from this junior ex-junior club, so... He's, you know, we've, we've developed him. We've brought him out from, you know, this this junior club of Penrith or this, you know, Bondi United from the Roosters or Hunter at Newcastle for the Knights, you know, whatever. You know, we brought them through. That's the club they came from. But to me, that's just geography. You know, just because a kid happened to live in the Hunter doesn't mean that that's anything that the Newcastle Knights have a right to or that they can claim that they've developed them just because of where they lived. You know, to me, development is really getting someone prepared for first grade and turning them into an NRL player. So to me, where someone's junior club was really, who cares, you know, and there's that many, there's that many good players that are playing in the NRL right now. They played for some junior clubs in a certain area and, you know, maybe even played for some really shit teams, you know, junior area. I know I played for a lot of them 
and moved away and said, you know, I'm, I'm good at football. I'm, I'm getting a rep jumper. I'm actually going to go and play for this other prestigious junior club or I'm going to go to this sports high school over here or whatever. And inadvertently, everybody just remembers them as their junior club because they don't claim the shit club that they used to play for where they were getting floggings at, you know. So it really doesn't matter to me where someone played when they were 12. What matters to me when you're talking about this stuff is how many years development did an NRL club put into this kid? You know, if you if you're a team that identifies a 14 year old talent in New Zealand and you're based in Sydney, and the New Zealand Warriors aren't interested in him, and you fly him out, board him, invest money into him, and develop him for six years, and then he makes his first grade debut at 21, to me, that's junior development, and you should be pat on the back for that. But a lot of people will say, no, no, that guy was poached. To me, it's that's just garbage because it doesn't make a difference what junior club we played for. You've spent six years, seven years, putting into that one kid to make him the NRL player that he was when he was ready to actually perform that much on. And you're waiting a long time for the payoff, right? Like the first couple of years of an NRL career are hard work for the club. So if you've put seven years into the junior development, it might be nine years, 10 years before you really get any payoff. So to me, that's junior development. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. It's um, You need to look at what the clubs are actually doing. And that that's the complex picture is it becomes a bit of a signing wall for trying to get the youngest kids younger and younger and trying to guess who's going to go well and get them into your system early. But that, that's it, I, I don't think it matters so much where players are from. It, it, it is where, how we're bringing through first graders. But the game does have to look at how they fund all of that because it, it's very ad hoc to just, like at the moment, I think Penrith have started since Gus Gould got there, done a really good job of doing what you're talking about because they, I think they pick the best kids out of the West and get them into the Penrith system young. But my point with that is, is that if you want to expand the competition, if you want to have Redcliffe in, if you want to add another team, which they're going to want to do soon, and you want a quality product, trusting Penrith to, <laughs> to develop enough kids to have a really good team and foster some out to the West Tigers or foster some out to the Roosters who don't have a big junior base and foster some out to the Redcliffe and everything else is not necessarily a great business model. Like the game has to actually be interested in making sure there's enough elite talent to go around and enough to expand, not just trusting the Roosters to find the right Kiwi kids, get them out of rugby schools and get them into Bondi and not to trust Penrith to develop enough kids for three NRL clubs, not one. That's not really the answer to those game-wide questions. If you're looking at, can we have another team? Can we have a better comp? Can we make it more competitive? Can we have more elite players? You don't just want to trust the clubs to do that. You, You do need to have a plan as a game to make sure that happens. Yeah, you do. And I really do question sometimes, um, the deeper strategic thinking and just the the actual procedures and processes that we put in place in rugby league mm. to actually run it professionally, including from a grassroots level. But I mean, Melbourne Storm's another example, right? They've been very successful, but I dare say there's not an abundance of you know players who are currently coming through Victoria as yeah. rugby league stars. Yeah. And we laud Melbourne for the development of you know the big three. Cronk, Smith, Slater. And even before that, they had GI and, and Falau as well, who were phenomenal. It would have been a big five had they been able to keep those guys together. And they deserve all the pats on the back, you know. But as we know, that's the backbone of one of the greatest origin teams of all time, and they're representing Queensland. Mm. Yeah, they came from Queensland. They were brought down from the storm. They were certainly identified by the storm, but they weren't playing, you know, for 
for these Victorian clubs or anything or local guys that they managed to pick up and, and develop or anything. Yeah, but they should get pat on the backs for that. But it's funny that people don't really bring that stuff up with, with a Melbourne. They'll bring it up with the Roosters. They'll bring it up with maybe a few other teams, even South sometimes, or Manly certainly used to be, definitely in the 90s, used to be the ones that used to cop a lot yeah. of heat for, for buying the premierships and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it's funny that there is a pick and choose when it comes to the narratives because someone like the Storm definitely you know, hasn't fostered local players but i don't think they can really victoria is not victoria is a whole state for them but it's not their rugby league nursery because not a lot of people playing rugby league that's fair enough and the players that they've brought in have been young and they've developed them and kudos Mm. to them but that's the same for every other club too um luke i'm gonna throw i'm gonna throw a big business pitch to you okay you are the nrl (laughs) go on this is how you fix it okay been saying this for a long time and i'm gonna say as a caveat right up front I have stolen this from other sports around the world. So if this sounds similar, it should sound similar. But I think other sports have done a few things pretty well that we could adopt into rugby league. So how do we fix this problem? How do you reward for development but not for geography? Okay, to me, um, if a player has gone through your system for, say, five-plus years before they make an NRL debut, they are a developed junior by you. So you've put five years in lower grades into them. Uh, for that, you should get 10% additional money outside the cap to pay that player. I also think that if they, that player then goes on for five years into an NRL career, so now you're talking about 10 years association with the club, but only five years playing in the NRL, maybe it's 15 or even 20% extra that you can give them above the cap that no other club can. And we're going to talk about contracts in a minute, but if a max contract is four years, you as the home team can give them five years. And you can give them, so that means you can give them one extra year and you can give them extra money that other teams can't. Now we're talking contracts, right? Maximum contracts. I think it's absolutely insane that we currently have a system in what is meant to be the best rugby league competition in the world and the most professionally run, where a team could feasibly go out and offer someone $3 million a season. You know, it could happen. And it probably will one day and it'll be the thing that breaks the camel's back in in all these rules and changes happening. Um, Same thing with 10-year deals, right? There's talk today that Tom Malolo should negotiate out of his 10-year deal because the reality is 10-year deals are absolutely ridiculous. You know, who knows what's going to happen in 10 years? It's going to potentially kill a club or if a player's upset with it, they're going to kick stones anyway. You know, you've got to have a balance with these contracts of not crippling clubs, giving players stability and security still, but being also able to reward the home teams, especially if they've developed someone for, say, five-plus years. Let's call that the grassroots rule. Okay, rookie scale deals is the last one. You've got to ensure if someone's just had a boom eight games, they're not getting offered a million bucks and five years to go somewhere. So to me, you know, something that other sports do really well across the world is that they have rookie scale deals. You know, when you're first making your debut, you're eligible for, say, a two or a three year deal. And that's it. And there's an amount of money that is, let's say it's 300K a year. You know, for the first two years of your NRL career, you cannot earn more than 300K and you cannot sign a deal that's longer than two years. To me, all this stuff makes sense, Luke. Um, it gives some reward for teams that are developing players as well, giving players something that no other club in the NRL can give them if they want to stay. But as well, it, it kind of really fixes what I think is a real messy contract situation in the NRL right now that's going to explode as a problem very soon when people start giving out 10-year deals and probably the next one will be a 15-year deal or something, you know, it's going to come to a head. 
either someone's going to get way too big a deal or way too much money. And it's going to happen because there's just no rules in place at the moment. So I'm really surprised as a game, we don't have some of these parameters already, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's all pretty reasonable. I pretty much support anything that whilst player movement's essential and you need to be able to make moves and you need to be able to sign people and that's all fine. Um, the stuff that people really like about the game and the stuff that makes fans buy into their team and associate with their team is the continuity. They want to see the same players there all the time. They don't want to see Ryan Madison's. Um, they just don't. They want to see guys that play um, year after year at that same club that they can identify with, that they start to see likes their team as much as they look. Because at the end of the day, fans like their team more than the players probably do because they're just doing a job and we love our teams. But they start when you get guys that are there year after year, you start to build that relationship with the player. You start to see the players care for the team like you do. And it, and, and that really gets a lot of fan buy-in. It, it, it brings more people that follow the game to it. There's nothing worse than seeing the opposite of that where people are chopping all over the place year to year and season to season. And while you're never going to stop it completely, I 100% support this. There's nothing better, in, in my opinion, than watching, going through and seeing a guy come through the juniors and you hear how good he is and you go watch him play in Jersey flag and you watch him play reserve grade. He ends up in first grade, ends up good, and he, he makes it to origin and all those things are really exciting as a fan that you see that progression and you see them through your club and they make the finals for you for the first time and all that sort of stuff. It, it's something that we, it sounds, might sound romantic, but it's what people like and it's what people want to see. And it's not really rewarded at the moment. Um, I, I know as a Knights fan, it was very much like that in the old days, but even the last generation when yeah, there's something more special for me seeing the Saifidi brothers come good and seeing Daniel Saifidi go from a team that won one game to a player that's is scored, you know, he plays scored a try in state of origin as a starting prop. All that stuff, it's that that's so much more exciting for me than watching David Clemmer play well for Newcastle, who they just signed on a million dollars from Canterbury as a hide gun. Uh, and you watch him play. It, it's just not people want to see that continuity and the juniors come through and stay there and build those relationships with those players. And that's that's part of what you're proposing will will help do that. Yeah, and there's probably two types of fans with that. Like you hit the nail on the head with the more, um, I guess, invested, um, uh, invested along to fanatical fan base who are going to watch the junior grades and pay huge attention to them. And like I've, I was hugely excited for Roger Tullabasashek for several years. I was hugely excited for Latrell Mitchell for five years. You know, mm, yeah, Latrell, yeah. you know, we signed him I think when he was fourteen, fifteen. You know, and you know, I was excited until he made his debut four, four years later or whatever it was. You know, it, you follow those guys. Yeah. But the other the other type of fan that might be a little bit more casual or just a, you know, NRL fan, they might not pay attention to the lower grades. But one of the great things is the shiny new toy that you get, you know. Mm. And these are, it's, an, it's a known quantity. You know, you like signing a star. You like signing a, a Brandon Smith who's going to move or some of these other players that are going to move. You know, it's great. But you've already seen them play for someone else. You already know who they are. You've got the intrigue. You've got the excitement of a new kid coming through and showing some flashes and stuff, you know. Yeah. And, and that really helps with those um, casual fans and also just the ones that don't really pay attention to the kids coming through and developing. Look, let's have some quick fire ones here, okay? We've spent a lot of time on uh, Brian Fletcher and then also <laughs> the contract debacle and how you compensate teams. Um, to me, that's how you compensate teams, and I, I think that you can do a really good job of it. Um, and to finish off on that too, to your point as well, Luke, like I think that you do need to give um, players a reason to stay. Um, Definitely. Yeah. But 
at the same time, it's a balance, right? And mm. sometimes fans and clubs act like it's the players have no say in this. You know, you own them. You, you can't tell a player that they're not allowed to leave. If a player wants to turn down an extra 200K a year and an extra year on their contract to go and play for the Dolphins or the Broncos or, or whoever, that's within their right. I think that you just have to make sure that clubs have the artillery to say to someone, you're not going to leave because we can't offer you more than another club. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and as long as you can say that, then I think it's fair game and it's up to the player then what they want to do. Quick fire once, okay? Mal Meninga recently said just a couple of days ago, uh... I don't know if Cleary's in the Kangaroos team. Having said that, he, he put him up as one of his captain choices, but, you know, that's another Mal, Malnism. Mm. Um, not sure if he's overtaken DC yet. It's DC's jumper to lose, basically. Daly Cherry Evans is the current Kangaroos halfback. Uh, Cleary has to take that jersey off him still. I'm not sure what Mal expects Cleary to do because he's currently shown that he's a significantly better player than DCE. He's much younger. He's just captained a side to the grand final win. He's just gotten New South Wales across the line in a series win over DCE. Um, is, am I being disrespectful saying Mal might be past it here and he's just completely crazy for even outwardly supporting DCE over Cleary like this? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, as I was telling you before the show, I've, I've currently got a pretty badly broken finger. And all I was thinking when I read that from Mal was whatever he's having is stronger than my pain meds because <laughs> that, that's wild. That is wild. I, look, I, I could have a go at Mal because I'm prone to, um, but I'll, I'll keep it in a little bit and just say he's always been very gaff prone. And that seems to have, the Queensland run seems to have made people think he's this elder statesman sort of guy, but he's always been very gaff prone and, and that's fine because rugby league players aren't all geniuses. And he said some, you know, this is the guy that in 97 said, what has rugby league ever done for me? I'm um, sorry, in 95 in the midst of the super league war, um, keeping in mind that he made hundreds of thousands of dollars playing the game when people were still not being paid. And he got a, uh, he got a job with Super League in retirement and made hundreds of thousands of dollars as a corporate exec, and he's now been coaching for decades since. So, you know, this is the guy who said stuff like that. He he says silly things, and we could write it off like that. But rather than me have a go at Mal, can I can I just make a couple of facts rather than? I'd love some there? facts. I'd love some facts because okay. at the moment I've got a lot of feelings, <laughs> okay. so I probably need some facts. So I went and looked. So the Kangaroos when Dale the, the Kangaroos played a test in 2019 due to all the COVID stuff. Like that's how long it's actually been since they played, right? So he is the incumbent, but they haven't played. By the time they play again, it will have been three seasons. Like 2020, 2021 and 2022 are going to go by without having played. Now, at some point, you do lose the incumbency. That's point one. Like you can't be the incumbent for like, say, a decade. Right, like at some point you got to lose it. Um, it, it. I mean, Nick Kotrick played in the last test on the wing. I'd just like to think that he hasn't held the incumbent. Oh, just give him his jersey um, straight back. He's the incumbent. You know, Brian Toto, right. get like, out of here. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like you can't just hold everyone that's an incumbent. I should try and find the team so we can have a look who else is in it. But, but that sort of thing. That, that's one. So it has been three seasons. Here you go. They had Jack White and played centre. Um, David Clemmer played in the front row. Boyd Cordner was the captain in second row, so he should hold the incumbency. He should hold the captaincy too. Um, yeah, it would make the right. choice yeah, at the moment a lot easier, wouldn't it? Yeah. Paul Vaughan, Paul Vaughan played. Uh, Wade Graham played. 
So that's what we're talking about. Um, and, you know, so, so that's probably at one point that it's been, at some point you do lose the incumbency. Secondly, they lost that game to Tonga. So the Australian side lost to Tonga, which has never happened before. And is, uh, full credit to Tonga, by the way. I love their emergence. I think it's great for the, for the mm. game. But, but Australia doesn't, like, as Australia losing to New Zealand or England is, some, is a crisis. Losing to Tonga should be, like, some sort of serious review. And, you know, coaches have lost their jobs for less. Ricky Stewart lost his job for losing the Tri-Nations um, or the Four Nations it was at the time. Sheen's also lost his job for sort of screwing the pooch in the Four Nations. Uh, losing to Tonga is worse than both those things technically in my opinion so it's just that they weren't playing for a major trophy that he didn't lose his job and the halfback of australia could very much lose his job for less than losing to tonga so dce is the reigning halfback who led australia to a loss against tonga three years ago and in that time since nathan cleary has had three seasons in which he has made two grand finals both of which were the last two won one competition the last one won the churchill the last one won two origin series including the last one um so there's some facts rather than have a go at mal i'll leave everyone to decide whether that is a sensible comment to make Good facts. I like the facts. Um, uh, another fact was that Mao was actually coaching that Queensland team for quite a long time. Some people might have forgotten this, but I, I don't think anyone did. And then he went straight from that Queensland team to coaching Australia. I'm just going to throw it out there. No sour grapes intended at all as a New South Welshman, but I don't. I do not like uh, a state of origin either New South Wales or Queensland side of things. Coach going straight from one to the Australian team. I just think it's fraught with danger. And I think that there's potential, I'm not going to say for sure, but there's potential that some of um, that dynasty glory hangover is influencing this DCE is our halfback type of talk that Mal is currently having because DCE went through as his, you know, oh. one of his guys as well. And that's it's one of the reasons why I, don't, I just think the Australian coach should be completely separate from the origin teams as well. Well, I think he's pick and stick things as well as he's got this mad, everyone's got this mad idea, including him, that pick and stick was this glorious Queensland uh, ideal that won. And so he's pick and sticking DCE here and that's why he'll win. But he pick and stuck with the best players in the world, um, several of which will be an immortal conversation. Like he pick and stuck with (laughs) Billy Slater, um, Greg Inglis, you know, Jonathan Thurston, Cooper Cronk, Darren Lockyer before Cooper Cronk. Uh, and Cameron Smith. So, like, I am all forced pick and sticking with them um, because they're better than the other players he had available. But, um, you know, and Kevin Walters had a great result going the other way when he completely flipped his team the other year and actually won Origin by mm. um, by flipping out after game one and making all these changes. So I think it's been disproven. And, and it, that, that pick and stick's nonsense. You pick the best players. And if they're, you know, a lot of the time, the best players are very good for a long time. So you do pick and stick with them. But um, this one's just, it's just, total nonsense i don't know i don't know if he's just trying to sound if he's trying to pay lip service to the respect of the jersey and the incumbency by saying stuff like that what he knows otherwise because it, it would be an outcry if he didn't pick nathan cleary as the australian halfback it would just be total nonsense and completely unfair well it can't be for any sort of you know showing dc support but also you know sometimes coaches like to do those sort of things to give a bit of fire to <laughs> someone like cleary to chase a jersey what do you want to him do to do what? win two <laughs> comps this year and you know yeah. win two origin series and you know be the best halfback in the super league too and fly in between continents to to do both you know like i i don't get it but 
The other no. thing too that's come out of this story is that we don't have a, an Australian captain. So mm. obviously Boyd Cordner is now uh, retired. Now we have word that Mal is going to consider Cameron Murray, James Tedesco, and then wait for it. The Daily Cherry Evans or Nathan Cleary, which I, which I find <laughs> hilarious. The, the guy that doesn't doesn't have a jersey yet in Nathan Cleary is mm. being considered as the Australian captain. But you know, it's let's leave that to the side now. You know, it's it's a stellar list. You know, those four players probably all have claim to it in their own right if they get chosen. Um, certainly, I think DCE though shouldn't be chosen, so we can probably rule him out. Mm. Uh, Cleary, Murray, and Teddy are the, the three contenders that are left standing. Who do you think should get the Australian captaincy in Mel's team? Uh, it has to be James Tedesco. He's the obvious captain. He's the captain of the New South Wales side. Um, an obvious pick that can't... I mean, Cleary should be an obvious pick too, but he hasn't had the experience in rep sides. You don't just walk in and captain them. There's no reason for him or Murray to take that. Tedesco's an experienced campaigner with a long, longer rep record and is an automatic selection in the team. So that's it for me. You need to pick someone who... You don't want to give it to someone who's, say, 32 or 33. You want to give it to someone younger who's got time in the role, which Tedesco has, um, but also someone with some experience who won't be realistically under pressure for his spot, which he ticks that box as well. Mm. Um, and he's just got the the name in the game at this point. It, it would be silly to give it to Cleary or, or Murray. They're, they're making their way in the Australian team. They've, they've not – I don't think Cleary's played, has he? And and Murray has only – would have played – yeah, Murray played in the, that game I was talking about, but he wouldn't have played more. No, he's only played one game, so – um, why go anywhere else? It, it'll be Tedesco. And he probably has to throw up candidates because he can't just say it'll be Tedesco. Um, but it, it will be Tedesco. I don't think there's any doubt about that. If DCE was in the team, I could understand why um, he'd look at DCE as well. With credit to DCE, he's, yeah. his manly team's been going well. He's a very experienced campaigner too, and he's been through He's a good footballer. I mean, we're not bagging him. It's just a comparison to Cleary as he won't get picked. And the other mm. reason you can't make him captain is they're going to a tournament. So if Mal... You know, there's there's a World Cup and stuff to come up, and if Mal makes the idiotic mistake of picking DCE, he needs to be able to undo that mistake during the tournament and pick Cleary. So you can't make him captain because then you're stuck. Like you're wedding yourself to a fifty, not even a fifty-fifty call. It's the wrong call, but you're wedding yourself to a call that you might want to change. Whereas James Tedesco's fit. James Tedesco's fullback for Australia. End of. And that, that's what's going to happen. So, it, yeah, I, I'm pretty confident that he will be the fullback and they just, sorry, the captain, and they probably just don't want to say that yet, to be honest, which is fine. You don't want to, there's no need to announce it now. If that's the case, I can understand it. But if it isn't, yeah. I find it quite puzzling that Cleary and Murray are being thrown up, only because Murray is coming into his first season as a, a South Sydney club captain uh, and Cleary for captaining a grand final and being a, you know, a linchpin in the New South Wales side, he's still pretty young and his career is still reasonably young, despite the veteran accolades that he already has to his disposal. He's still a guy that only a year ago we were questioning his leadership and whether he should be out of the leadership group in Penrith, let alone, you know, not their captain because he had his TikTok stuff and, and a few other little indiscretions or question marks on his, um on his maturity. And look, I'm not bagging Cleary, you know, that's all fine, but, I don't think that it screams that you should choose him as captain over the more veteran leadership qualities that some of these other candidates have. So I, I think it was, yeah. He hasn't played for Australia yet. They're not going to deboo him as captain. He'd just be mental. <laughs> well, it'd be the first time ever it's happened, <laughs> yeah. I think. So, I mean, there's that yeah. too. Do you really want to make yeah. history now? I mean, probably not. But yeah. let's uh, we move on. Uh, we've got another couple of topics that we're going to cover. But before we do it, I do need to mention the sponsor of the All-Stars podcast, and that is Top Sport. 
You can go to topsport.com.au for all your betting needs. They're 100% Australian-owned bookmaker and they often have best odds in market. Absolutely love betting with them. If you are going to have gamble, make sure you do it responsibly though. But if you're interested in it, make sure that you sign up with the promo code for this podcast. And that is SC, all stars, all one word. That way Top Sport knows that you're one of our listeners and we sent you over and they'll take good care of you. But they've got everything on there. They've got NRL futures up at the moment. You can bet on heaps of great NRL markets already. And they're going to have the games up pretty soon. And might even have some new markets for this year, which is going to be very exciting to talk about in the coming weeks. So Top Sport, get on them. Fantastic partner of the All-Stars podcast. Next one's right up your alley, Luke. This topic, it's a its a quick one. Coach Joey Johns. People like Matty have said that uh, Joey could easily be a coach. Uh, there's been questions raised on talkback radio, you know, articles and everything else lately because he's working with the Newcastle Knights. You know, Joey would be a great coach and everyone's endorsed him. Joey's coming out and said he's not really wanting to coach. <laughs> How do you feel about Coach Joey Johns? Should he be getting into it? No, um, he's a great skills coach and a great halves coach. He's very, very good at, at, at teaching the stuff that he did well and teaching guys stuff that they don't see because they're not him <laughs> because, you know, he's the best halfback ever. But, um, no, he's had no desire to coach, and I don't think it would suit him. He's a volatile personality in that he's very emotional, um, and that helped him in his game. And um, But he would I, – I think he'd melt down pretty quickly trying to coach um, a rugby league side. He used to flip out at guys that weren't performing to the right level when he was playing. So to hand over total control and have to rely on 17 guys who were nowhere near as good as he was to do the job, I just don't think it's his personality. And it's not a criticism. I love him. And I think he's fantastic at skills coaching, but he doesn't want to. And I don't think it would really suit him. It's the day-to-day stuff of getting everyday players up getting them motivated, getting them in the right headspace to play their best, um, bringing the squad together. That's not his go. His go is imparting wisdom about halves play and, and attacking sort of structures and those things. And you can do that without having the pressure of being the head coach and recruiting and bringing the team together and wearing the result. Um, that's a very specialised role and it doesn't suit him or a lot of other people, but he's got a big role to play in coaching underneath that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm, I'm all the way with you on this one. And I'm kind of surprised, you know, it's, look, I think a lot of people that get asked things um, just want to be polite. Um, and then mm. a lot of media organisations just want to jump on and, and not be negative with great to the game and stuff. They don't really want to be the mm. the one that calls out someone or, or points out an inadequacy. And mm. I just think that Joey would actually have a higher chance of not doing very well at it. Um, and yeah, I think he knows that he's never tried. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's smart of him to know that and have that self awareness. And look, it's you can't be good at everything. It's not a knock on him. No. Like you can't be good at everything. And he's a very good assistant coach. He's a very good skills coach. I could see him being a, a critical assistant, like on a, a New South Wales Blues dynasty or something, or or even you know an assistant on an Australian campaign, especially when it's not a club level type of weekly role where it's compartmentalized into a, a small part, but um, if he was a, a day-to-day head coach or something, you know, I I think he'd have a brain aneurysm. I think that he just, <laughs> it, it wouldn't suit him at all. Yeah, and he's, he said that. Maddie came out and said no one handled pressure better. And Joey said, yeah, but that was pressure when I could control the outcome. Like I was under pressure, but I was on the field. Like I could handle the pressure of kicking a winning goal or being responsible for coming up with a winning play in a grand final, my word's not his, but he was saying that he was good at that. That's not the same as coaching pressure. And he's right. Like it's a completely different situation to try and bring other people together. 
um, and to get other, get a team to perform well. And, you know, what he does at Newcastle is perfect because he's going to get a lot of write-ups. If Newcastle starts scoring some points, there'll be a lot of write-ups about what he's doing with Ponga and those guys. But his key role at Newcastle is he works with every team from the bottom down. So we talked about junior development. Andrew is in there now. The Knights have put in, have tried to copy the Penrith system a bit. They've got Garth Brennan overseeing development. They have everyone who's a halfback from the 14s, 15s down is getting time with Andrew Johns. They're getting everyone who was a fullback is getting time with Kurt Gidley. Danny Baderas is with the hookers. Steve Simpson and Marco Mealy are with the forwards. And Marco Mealy works for the Knights now. They're, they are putting in place that Andrew is down there. And if you're a 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old, you are getting drilled for years and years now with Joey down, starting that tutelage, showing them what they should be practicing, how we want them to learn and develop them as players. So for all the right up we'll get if Newcastle play well now or it'll be written off if he doesn't the work we'll see from him I think will be in a few years time when we start seeing some of these guys hopefully go from prospects and on the scrap heap to guys that actually come through and start developing like the Penrith guys have and that's a great role for him and he sh- I don't think there's anyone better for that at Newcastle and I have no interest in him coaching as a head coach and I don't think I'll have to worry about it. It does give way to also the um, discussion point where a lot of people, I think, just assume that because someone was a really good, not even just a really good rugby league player, but just a really good athlete or an all-timer in whatever sport that they play, that they're going to make a fantastic coach. You know, there's people like Michael Jordan that are considered the best basketballer of all time. And, you know, he said outright, he's got no interest in coaching, you know, because why would he? He's not a coach, you know, and he's kind of said that before. You know, and it's just it's one of these things that I think um, fans and the media um, really get in their heads that oh well this he's so good at footy he's got such a good footy brain he's going to be a great coach or, or at any sport you know mm. insert whatever great you want and it's just not the case and when you look at some of the coaches like it's it's almost a little bit unfair too because you get coaches that come through that don't have a, a glittering first grade career or don't have a first grade career at all and people are critical and, and it even gets thrown around that oh well he's never played. And so, yeah, but you don't need to. It's a different job. Yeah, it's totally. a very, very different job. And Robinson at the Roosters is a great example. He's a very young coach and he's doing fantastic. And it's not like he had a glittering NRL career. Wayne Bennett was, you know, an NRL player, but he wasn't a, you know, top shelf player like Joey Johns or an all time great or an immortal or anything. But he's certainly going to be a better coach when it all comes down to oh. it than any of the immortals would be. Many of the coaches, uh, many of the best coaches weren't great players. And um, I remember one person saying a long time ago that they found one of the things about Greg Chappell in cricket, the coaching was very interesting, was that he struggled a lot to relate to the worst players in the team and they have to perform too. Like he'd go up to these batsmen who were scrapping away to get 20 or 30 and he couldn't really get it because he just used to go out and average 50 in test cricket because he was a God, you know, but so he didn't understand the pressure of the everyday player went through and the nerves and the self doubts and what they needed to learn and improve on. Whereas a lot of guys like a Robinson who battled away trying to get a bloody game, they pick up, they have to learn every intricacy and every, trick of the trade and all the ins and outs to even make it on the field. And a lot of those guys can, they get guys in their squad and can get a lot out of those medium players and lower end players because they've been in that situation. They actually understand some of that. Whereas, you know, when you just, 
it's, I mean, the greats of the game, like Joey, worked harder than anyone, but they don't just understand what it's like to not be that good either. Um, and, oh, well, that's you true know, too. Like, it's very hard for them to sort of relate to, like, it must be very hard for him to relate to Adam Clune's worries or doubts about how to perform as the mm. Knights halfback, whereas someone like Adam O'Brien, who didn't get a game of first grade and battled away, probably can a bit more. But no, I, I totally agree with, with all of that. Coaching is a completely different kettle of fish. And, you know, it, it's Andrew's work with a lot of clubs now and done a lot of good things, but you, it, people need to understand as well that you don't just bring in a great player and that makes your halves better. That Andrew Johns was great. That doesn't mean that he can coach someone to be Andrew Johns. He's worked with Mitchell Moses for the last couple of years. And I think there's no doubt Mitchell Moses has got better, but Mitchell Moses still has all the failings that Mitchell Moses had. He still wilts a bit mm-hmm. under pressure. He said, you don't like, these guys, Johns, Fittlers, um, even Cameron Smith, Thurston's, all these guys, they just can't tell someone else how to be them. And people do need to understand that. Like They can give them tips and it can help, but you don't just they're, – they're them for a reason. They're special for a reason. You can't just teach it to someone else. It doesn't yeah, work. Like, right. It doesn't. <laughs> like, what, are the, yeah. what are the big things with it? Like even if I just think about myself, you know, I – I, I play recreational basketball still that's not at a very good level anymore, much to my disdain the last couple of years where I've had to admit that I'm too old. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things even now where it's like I, I know what needs to be done. I just am not good enough to do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's one of my favourite quotes as well. You'll actually find that quote, just because someone doesn't have the skill to do it doesn't mean that they don't know what needs to be done. Yeah. And yeah. that is it in a nutshell. You know, just because um, a, a, a Robinson that's coaching the Roosters now, you know, before he got his coaching gigs, wasn't anywhere near as skilled as a Joey Johns or wasn't anywhere near as talented as a lot of NRL rugby league players worldwide, doesn't mean he didn't know how to be. He just didn't have the talent to do it, you know. Yeah, that's and, right. yeah. and I do it all the time. There's things that I try and do at Monday Night Basketball <laughs> that don't come <laughs> off. It's not because it's not going to work. You know, it's the right play. I, I'm just not very good anymore and I can't do it. You know, it's just yeah. how it is. Um, and it's the same thing when you apply it to, to the coaching stuff. But when you're in a coaching role, you know, these guys know what needs to be done and they can coach it. They just don't have the skill or the body anymore to be able to do it themselves. So it, it works out perfectly. Look, let's move on. Let's talk about the suspension joke and the, well, how do I say it politically correctly, the rabble that the NRL currently finds itself in yet again. We've now got two big incidents at the moment, okay? We've got Jordan Rappiner serving two suspensions at once. He should be out three games. He got a a one-game drink driving charge, which was an NRL charge last year. And he got a two-game suspension for his shoulder charge in the All-Stars game. And for whatever reason, the NRL has said, yeah, you can serve those concurrently. So it's just the first two games that you miss. Out of nowhere, by the way. And now we've got Latrell Mitchell um, returning a week early. And we've had this conjecture for two months now where everybody on social media and everywhere else in the world, pubs, clubs, homes, everywhere has been arguing, should a Latrell Mitchell suspension game be counted as his All-Stars appearance? We didn't really hear anything one of the big things with the NRL that I hate is they don't really come out and address this stuff properly. And lo and behold, now we have just recently, in the last 24 hours, the Troll Mitchell's game in the All-Stars that he didn't play, he's going to count. So now he's playing round two, not round three. Uh, and now because of that, we now have the kick-on effect that both the Storm with Brandon Smith and also the Warriors with young Reese Walsh are saying, hang on, uh, those guys would have definitely made you know, that all-star game 
do they get to play round one now? Because they're meant to be suspended round one and they've now gone to the NRL. Nothing short of a debacle, Luke. And I have to say, one of the things that um, is my biggest annoyance with the NRL most of my life and something that despite Volandi's polishing over how good they're going now and everything is still there, the same as what it was five, ten years ago, is that the NRL lacks transparency and consistency badly. You know, it is really hard to find transparency with the NRL um, and professionalism too, I'll throw in there too. You know, like I go on their website and I struggle to be able to find uh, the rules of the game for a start. I found them eventually, but don't use the search functionality. You've got to troll through the whole website. Uh, and then also the uh, the judiciary stuff. You know, try and find rules around the judiciary. It's not easy. You'll find a grading table, and that's about all. Um, so, you know, there's not much there. You can't find much. The NRL doesn't come out and say anything. Latrell Mitchell got this suspension in August 2021, six months ago. Six months later, we actually get clarity as to when he will be serving his suspension. Now, is this just not making a mockery of a sport that's meant to be taking place in the best league in the world, the most professional league in the world? Oh, it's ridiculous. Um, And it's just really quite common sense what should happen, and that's that if he can play in the game, it doesn't count to his suspension. And if he is being banned from playing in the game, then it counts for his suspension. And that's all they had to answer. And they should know that before you don't answer that after the game's played, right? Like if you're suspended and the game counts towards your suspension, then it counts. Like if you're not allowed to play in a game, then it counts. End of. 100%. And, and, if, it, if, if, and if you are allowed to play in it, then it doesn't count. Um, and that's really the only question. And that question has to be answered before the game's played because they can't decide afterwards. <laughs> you can't decide afterwards that it doesn't count after he's missed it. That would have been totally unfair. Uh, it's not a go at Luttrell or Souths. There's no Souths. Like, I don't care. No, of course I, 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 don't, I don't give a stuff whether, you know, he's back in round two or three, to be honest. Like, I mean, I, I like watching good players, so it's good that he's back for the game. But I, I don't have a problem with South. I just, and nor with him, nor for the, him for challenging it. Because once he missed it, they absolutely should say, well, what are you talking about? I'm suspended yep. and I missed the game. So take it off the suspension. But it's pretty obvious. You go into the preseason and you go, hey, guys, uh, does this count? The trials count and the representative fix, fixtures count. And it's a representative fixture, so if it counts, then it, that's it. But doing it, it just and, makes a mockery. of They've got the right result, but they've just made themselves look dumb for no reason and wasted and everyone's looks, time. It just looks stupid, doesn't it? Because, I mean, even with the Rapana one, like that's something different altogether. Can you explain to me how the Rapana one works? Because I, I will say, like, one of the few things that you will find on, on NRL.com is that you will get that grading table, and that's clear as day. You know, and, and one thing is, you know, we need to just dumb it down a little bit. The, the grading doesn't say you're getting three weeks or you're getting six weeks. It says this is how many points that you're going to get for that charge. Mm. And then it dictates with loading and everything how many weeks that works out to be. So you can't tell me if you've got 200 points and then you've got another 100-point charge, that's 300 points. That just spits out three weeks. And according to the judiciary guidelines that there is hardly any of on NRL.com, that, that's what it is. It's three weeks. So how do you even turn that into two weeks? It's two separate charges, and each of them have their own points against them. So are you just, like, deleting points? How are you? How is it even working with the wrap on a charge? No, I don't understand it at all. Um, it doesn't, I, I don't have any answer for that one. That's just strange. Um, if that's 
he can't be the first person ever to get a couple of charges at once. Like, is that, but yeah, I, I'm, I have no answer for you on that. That's just very baffling, but it's going to become a problem again because he's not going to, it's not going to be the, the last time that happens. Like, um, can you, you know. could you tell me, like, right now, like, say I'm playing the All Star game, right? Yeah. Say, say I'm Shaq Mitchell. Let's, let's get someone else in, in there as an example. Shaq Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've made it to the South squad. I'm going to play in the first NRL game and I'm playing in the All Stars game. And I punch on with someone and I get done for striking, you know, one week for striking. You know, a week before um, the first round of the season where I'm suspended, I get done for mid-range drink driving. Do you reckon that there's any way at all that the NRL turns around and says, oh, don't worry, just do your first week, mate, that'll do? No. Or can we see that happening at all? I don't think so. No. I think the whole thing's got to be overthrown. They probably don't have the time for me to go into my disdain for the entirety of the judiciary, but I think the whole system's got to be changed. I think the way they count everything the same at the moment is, is really ridiculous. I, I actually think that, for, for starters, there's nothing worse than... Uh, at the moment, when you look at the rules, the way they're pinning everyone for high tackles and really low-grade stuff is getting suspensions. Uh, yep. But if you're going to do that, and I don't even... I, I know you have a big problem with that. I don't have to... I wouldn't say I like it, but I say I, I understand why they need to take all that stuff seriously. Is that they need to start having a look at the impact it has on the competition and start realising games aren't equal, that you can't have guys missing semifinals and grand finals for slight clips that are just accidental that are worth a week in the regular season. They have to start looking at this and saying that, like, Luttrell should be available all year because he didn't just miss six games. He missed a grand final and a whole final series. And you need to look at this and say a club game might be 100 points, a final might be 150, an Origins 150, a grand final's 200, so that you actually don't miss giant games for innocuous things. And rep games might be the same. You, you've got to look at it like that. You can do it with points. It's easy. Um, Wade Graham missed an origin for 100 points on some niggling shoulder charge, I think it was, a couple of years ago. Mm. And it was just pissy. And it, you know what I mean? It was just not like this little thing. And yeah, it probably was one. And it was worth 100 points or 80. And he had some carryovers. And you're like, why are we pretending that the game he's missing for New South Wales is the same as if he had been playing for Cronulla in front of 5,000 people in a game without origin play? five days later in some, you know, like one of those awful mid-year games with the Origin players out that no one watches and are really terrible on Saturday night. It's not the same thing. And they need to get rid of that whole system and start using the points to say, so we don't have big players out of big games for little events. And so you're actually getting punishments that fit what happened because it's fine to miss a club game. It's not the same to miss a final. It's not the same to miss playing. I'm sure the Indigenous players put so much into playing that game. You can't tell me that's really even the same as a, a club game, but Origins certainly aren't. And and they need to really overhaul that whole thing and just make it sensible, especially with all the charges they're throwing out now, because it's more than they've ever done before and it makes it more important. And I don't want to use the big sort of trope, we don't want this to decide a grand final, the, the greatest phrase in rugby league, but we, we really don't want to see that happen again. It won't be brought up until a year or two's time. They won't be proactive and someone big like a Cleary or a Tedesco or someone up there will get someone with a shoulder or a little stiff arm that just gets them and they'll get 100 points and miss a grand final and then we'll start talking about this again. But we can all see it now and they just need to address it properly. The whole system. Yeah, 100%. The whole thing needs to be just thrown out the window and start again. But I, I think the most frustrating thing is I could probably write out a Microsoft Word document within an hour addressing all of this with processes and be able to put it online and it would be done. 
the NRL can't even manage to put down the processes or all this stuff in writing so it's transparent and black and white in the last 20 years. Like, why can I not go somewhere and have it spelled out, whether I'm a club, a player or a fan, and see it say, these matches will all count for any suspension. These matches won't count. And that's done. <laughs> you know, like that just, it knocks yeah. everything on the head straight Finish. away. And the NRL, I'm sure, will come out again at some point and say, oh, look, the media is just being negative and they'll get the shits with whoever, Fox or whatever, you know, blah, about this or whatever. The media has been beaten on about negative stuff around this point for three months because the NRL has given no direction on it and they don't have anything to point towards. And they haven't even yeah. said anything. Like, if you don't have it, at least come out and say, no, the rules are actually this, guys. Bang, 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 bang. Done. Yeah. But they don't even have it and they still don't. You know, it's it could all be fixed really easily and it's exceptionally bizarre and it also opens the floodgates for what's going to happen guaranteed in the next month of, of talk and that is going to be inconsistency in the game, preferential treatment for some players and clubs and not others because could you imagine now if Reese Walsh and uh, Brandon Smith have to serve their suspensions, the uproar that's going to happen in the next week, it is going to be immense and the NRL yeah. really has no leg to stand on to even say no, but they probably will because this is just all whatever they feel like doing at the time. And you cannot run a professional sporting league like that, let alone one that's meant to be the greatest on the planet. Luke, trial games, just to quickly knock that on its head. For me, trial games are trials, right? They're not even proper games. They're not NRL-sanctioned games or anything like that. Just because they're on TV doesn't mean anything. You've got clubs with 40 players and stars that play 20 minutes in a game and the results don't actually mean anything. To me, it's silly to think the trial games should be counted. Where are you standing on on whether they should be counted towards suspensions? No, no, don't count them, but let them play. That's because you have to be allowed to play in them. If you're not, if it, if it, if you don't let them play, it has to count. So they should be allowed to play in the trials. Um, I agree that the All Stars game should. If you're going to market it and have the All Stars game and make it a big thing, it has to count the suspensions, um, and it's very important to the Indigenous players and to the the Maoris and everything. So it's absolutely right that it should count. But trials, no trial games are practice runs. So let them play in those and don't count them. And um, to be fair, if you're only out for a couple of weeks, you're going to want to trial your players anyway. So you shouldn't be banned from using a monster or a or a um, you know Verils or whatever just because they're out of the first round. So they should be allowed to play and not count. Yeah, and to me, it's it's the same as training, right? You, you know, band players yeah. in training, that's what a trial is. There's certainly yep. um, broader health and safety concerns if you don't allow players to yeah, trial it's, before. It's practice, that's yep. all it is, yeah. Exactly right. Luke, thank you very much to, for coming on to the Talk and Footy episode of the All-Stars podcast. Very much appreciate your input and, and all of your thoughts on rugby league in general. Been a pleasure, mate. Um, looking forward to coming back on soon. Excellent. Well, Luke also co-hosts the Rugby League Cemetery podcast. Got a few cracking episodes up recently, including a great one from 20 years ago featuring the Parramatta Eels and the Roosters where the the Cemetery boys talk about the game, go through it all um, and talk about all those old players that you'll remember once they start talking about them, like David Solomona and all these old guys you forget. So get on the Rugby League Cemetery as well. It's a great podcast. You can follow the All-Stars podcast on Twitter. That's NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. You can also download or stream us on iTunes, SoundCloud, as well as Spotify. So certainly give us a follow everywhere and hit a subscribe button. As far as what's coming up, guys, we've got some Supercoach episodes coming up and the Talking Footy episode will be back again in a week's time. And the Talking Footy episodes as well will rotate the guests too and potentially even have some players or ex-players coming on board as well. So it'll be a bit different each week talking the big topics in rugby league. 
Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Tune in again shortly for the next episode. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get play.